Hello folks and welcome to another edition of Duets from the Trenches, Musicians You Should Know. This is your friendly neighborhood studio man, Nick Drozdoff, acting as your host, producer, engineer, marketing director, talent coordinator. Yeah, yeah, it's still a one-man operation, but this is a labor of love. As always, the purpose of the show is to give voice to musicians from markets that are not as intense as New York or L.A., but who are every bit as deserving as some limelight. I want them to share their stories so that others might get some ideas about how to think outside the box in this current epoch of challenges uh, that are facing budding musicians around the country. I will give a very brief shout-out to two companies that I personally support. I play wedge mouthpieces designed and manufactured in British Columbia by Dave Harrison. I also play gets and trumpets made right here in the USA in Elkhorn, Wisconsin. I'm keeping this part short because I want to play more music uh, from our guests today on this show. One quick comment. I'm very far behind in my podcasting. I ran into several problems that jammed up my work, not the least of which was an ill-advised system update uh, that messed up some of the critical applications on my computer. In addition to my podcast responsibilities that I just listed above, I am also the IT department, so I had to sort it all out on my own. I've got things covered, but some compromises had to be made. Please hang in there with uh, with my show as I kind of redevelop the show's sound. My guest today is trumpeter, band leader, music contractor, and clinician Rich Wetzel from Tacoma, Washington. Rich is a high-energy, high-note lead trumpet player, but he is equally as capable of coaxing out some sweet, mellow sounds in the down low as well. He leads a big band known as the Groovin' Higher Orchestra, and they have a new CD out called Rockin' It. They also have several other CDs, and they can all be found on CD Baby online. Rich likes to bring in illustrious guest artists on his recording projects, and this latest CD is no exception. He has Seraphin Aguilar, Walt Johnson, Lynn Nicholson, and the legendary Arturo Sandoval on this project. Before we have Rich tell his story, let's listen to one complete track uh, featuring Arturo. This is uh, California Dreamin' with the amazing Arturo Sandoval. <laughs> Day. 
that the first trumpet soloist and that was actually Rich Wetzel. Uh, so he comes in at the front end of the tune with a nice little lead trumpeter's kind of sound. And um, then, of course, uh, patently obvious when Arturo comes in a little later on. All right, let's hear from Rich and let him tell his story now. Uh, all right, folks, uh, this is uh, Nick Drozdoff here, and I'm with uh, our guest for this, uh, this month's podcast. This is uh, Rich Wetzel. Did I say that right, Rich? Yeah, that's right. Okay, cool. Uh, he leads the Groovin' Hire big band out of, is it Seattle or nearby Seattle? I usually tell people Seattle because not everyone knows where Tacoma is, but Tacoma <laughs> is about 30 minutes south of Seattle. See, now I'm an ex-high school physics teacher, so I know where Tacoma is because of the Narrows and the Galloping Gertie, the bridge that went down. Oh, or, yeah. Yeah, so anyway, uh, I bet a lot of people, more people know where Tacoma is than you might think. But uh, all right, so T uh, Seattle Tacoma area, uh, very very interesting uh, uh, locale for big bands. Um, so we'll get more and more into that stuff. Uh, when did you decide to make music something that was a life's work for you? It's not it's not something you do exclusively, I guess. But it's you know you're a professional musician. So when does you know how did that become something important in your life? Well, you know, it's probably like more people than we realize. Um, it's been a mixed bag. Uh, there have been times where that's all I did exclusively was just play. Um, I played on cruise ships. I played on road bands. Um, I did a little bit of teaching. Uh, and then I would went through phases where I decided to have a normal life, have a normal day gig. And uh, I actually tried to quit playing. I call that the dark period of my life. Yeah, yeah. Um, and my wife and all my friends, everybody knew I should be playing again. And then um, finally, some friends talked me into doing a little bit. And then all of a sudden, I was back in it full time. And then I quit my day job and went back to just playing full time for a couple of years. And eventually ended up in this position with Bach, trumpets and brass and con Selmer musical instruments. So it's a little bit of the best of both worlds. It's a nice day gig. I'm doing sales. Uh, I get to work with uh, a lot of other artists, with schools, with music stores, and it kind of keeps my finger in the game. Uh, and so I'm still playing. I still have my own band, and we've put out four CDs and done lots of fun concerts and things like that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. I was going to ask you about uh, that day gig. You've got a very unique position with um, uh, Bach. as a, How would you describe You're a sales representative for the Bach uh, musical instrument manufacturers? Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm still kind of in two roles. I'm a Bach trumpet artist and a clinician, but I'm also the Con Selmer district manager for sales. I'm basically a sales rep uh, covering the Northwest United States. Okay. Well, that's, that's pretty darn cool. I mean, I, I've watched your stuff online and you're, you're hanging out with a lot of amazing musicians and uh, it seems like you get a chance to do some clinical performances too, that that sort of dovetails into some um, uh, chance for you to actually do something with your trumpet playing uh, in in addition to being a sales rep, right? Do you get some yeah. of that? That's yeah, really Yeah, it, it works out great. I get to do uh, some guest appearances with high school bands, college bands, um, 
some other kicks bands in the area sometime and then um, doing clinics, et cetera. And uh, still, you know, trying to live the life of, of a trumpet player, band leader, and also doing the sales thing for Con Selmer and working with education with kids and stuff. So it, uh, it's a good life. Yeah. Well, it sounds like, and one of the reasons I, I like to talk about this stuff is a lot of the listeners, or hopefully a lot of the listeners, are people who are uh, younger musicians in college uh, or maybe out of college getting moving into an area, uh, a market, trying to find a way uh, in as a professional musician. And I'm hoping that by hearing from people like you, me, and anybody else um, uh, that we're talking with in this show, they can pick up some ideas uh, about what they might uh, want to think about for their own um, career development. So uh, I really appreciate you talking about your, your, your day gig, as it were. Now, you said you, you stopped playing. Would you mind if we revisited that for a second? Uh, what drove you to stop playing? You know, it was, uh, you know, it, it was a, kind of a, a bad decision at the time. But, uh, you know, I think sometimes some of us, and, and myself included, I got, I was giving myself a little too much pressure about, you know, where I thought I should be and how much money I should be making and, and you know, I was playing and I was doing some things that were pretty cool gigs. And, you know, and most of my friends would have been happy with it. But, uh, you know, I was around, I know, my early 30s and my um, younger brother was just making insane money in sales. <laughs> and I was getting a little frustrated uh, where for a while I let the music become a job instead of a passion you know what i mean okay yeah that's really interesting yeah. yeah and and so at that point when i was i was just playing stuff that i didn't really enjoy and just for the money and just to take the gig and and uh when my brother was making crazy money in sales and i was in that dark space for a little while i just thought you know what i'm at least as smart as my brother is so <laughs> i could go out and do the sales gig for a while yeah and you know, the odd thing was I poured myself into it like the way that we approach becoming a better trumpet player and a better musician um, and having that same systematic work ethic and just, you know, really diving into it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, you carry that those traits over into any other profession and you end up being one of the more accomplished people. And I ended up being one of the top sales reps in the country for the company I was working for. But you know, I still wasn't happy. I, I couldn't listen yeah. to music. I would get depressed if I heard it. And uh, <laughs> my wife and my friends, they all knew I should play again. And finally, one day, uh, I had another sales rep with a little bit similar story. He had subbed in the Utah Symphony. Uh, and, you know, he got married, had a bazillion kids. And um, so he said, let's just go hang out in this community college band. We'll go sit down on third trumpet. Nobody will know who we are. We'll just have fun. Yeah, yeah. And so we went and did that. And the director, he kind of figures it out like, what story with you guys? Nothing, man. We're just playing third trumpet. <laughs> and so he starts pushing us up. And then some friends of mine up here in the Seattle area, they heard I was playing a little bit again. They're like, well, just sub in this Motown band for a little bit. Just help out. And, you know, within a year later, I was managing the band full time and I quit my job at Minolta and I was back to just playing full time. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. So, um, uh, I've never looked back. I, you know, I, I don't recommend quitting like yeah, that for yeah. a while. But, um, you know, after that point, I decided I was going to make playing the music I want to play the primary focus. Yeah. And then 
when I started doing it more about the passion again, uh, I had more success than I ever did when I was just letting it become a job. And yeah. you know, I started recording my own recordings. I started putting on my own concerts. I started, uh, you know, working with some of the local casinos to be the guy who would hire the horn sections when the big national shows oh, would come wow. to town. And I just kind of carved out my own little niche. Um, and it worked out great. And I was having more fun than I ever did before. Yeah, I'm right there with you about the uh, the need to make music a passion, not just a job. I was actually at a point myself uh, when I was a jobbing contractor, in particular in the Chicago area, where I would show up for a gig, and then by the time I got my gear set up and got through dealing with the major D's and the crazy brides and the crazier brides' parents and all that stuff, I'd get on the bandstand, take my horn out of the case, and I couldn't wait for it to end. You know, yeah. and that's that's not the way I wanted my playing to be. And um, I didn't quit, but I did make some changes in my life that allowed me to play trumpet on my terms. And so I could share music that meant something to me. And that's how we actually share something meaningful with the public. If we're just doing music as a job, like tradesmen, it's not, it doesn't work that way. You told us a little bit about how your career began. That is, uh, you know, sort of fascinating with the cruise ships and things of that nature. Um, when you first got started, what did you see as a necessary set of survival skills a musician would have to have, particularly in your locale? I'm not sure it would be different uh, from what I have to deal with, but you know, what did you see as the necessarily survival skills? What did what were the minimum needs? you figure a musician ought to have? You know, I, I would guess it's probably pretty similar, you know, to pretty much anywhere in the country, especially any bigger cities. But I grew up in Southern California. So I grew up you know, around LA as a younger kid. And then we moved to Orange County and, uh, you know, lived in Garden Grove and Huntington Beach. And I graduated from Orange Coast College and uh, Cal State Long Beach. And, um, you know, and studying with Walt Johnson, who was, you know, one of the great lead trumpet players. Oh, yeah. Uh, the last part of my high school days, I started studying with him. And, you know, you would hear from those kind of players probably the same things that would be good advice no matter where you live, which is, uh, you know, make sure you're ready for the opportunity. So practice, develop your skills, make sure you can read, that you can play, uh, you've got good time, good intonation. Uh, if, if the best thing is to be as versatile as possible, um, you know, but some people do tend to be a little bit more of a lead player, a little bit more of a soloist, uh, or a little bit more of a classical player, but try to be excellent at what yeah. you do. Okay. And then the other parts of just, you know, having a great attitude, show up early, you know, be somebody the band leader wants on the bandstand. Don't be an arrogant jerk, you know, that kind of <laughs> stuff. Uh, and those are survival skills because you would see lots of guys who could play their ass off and nobody would hire them because they were too difficult to work with. Um, so I think that was like one of the important things I learned was play okay. as great as you can, get as good as you can, but also be a decent human being to work with on the gig and show up early. Now you've got your own big band. This is, and you mentioned that earlier that this is something that you do, you push, you sell your big band, you promote it, you do your own concerts. So you're definitely your own man. You're not, um, I mean, I, you've got sideband skills, but you're not working as a sideband. You're working as a frontman most of the time. Would you say that's the case? Yeah, I, I, I kind of discovered for me anyway, and everybody has their own preferences. For me, it was more fun being the leader. 
Yeah. Because I, you know, I could, I could pick the music that I thought would be fun for the group to play. I could plan special concerts, bring in some guest artists, some of my friends or heroes or whatever. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, and I enjoy that role. Um, yeah. It's been more satisfying to me. And, you know, I get to do uh, my bit and front the band and play some features. But I also try to remember one of the things I really have always wanted to emulate was uh, Maynard Ferguson was one of the great band leaders yeah, yeah. at featuring the guys in his band. It wasn't every second about him. I mean, he would he would let these guys stretch out and solo a lot, and it made the band exciting. So I've always tried to have that same philosophy with my band, is to really get all those guys having their moment in the sun, and it just makes a better show anyway. You know, even in Seattle in the early 90s, um, you know, I could manage uh, like a just a great corporate band that could do corporate events. Um, you know, and, and charge five grand a night for some of those things for the band yeah. to play, pay all the guys in the band really well, still have enough left over for my band management agency and um, uh, to keep that thing going and promote the band and everything else. And uh, uh, over the years, it has evolved to a lot more uh, egalitarian yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. thing, you know. So, but, you know, it, it is what it is. Um and for me, the way that it all worked out is, you know, right now, I'm just I'm playing the music I want to play. Uh, I started off with a full 18-piece big band. I've kind of cut it down to about 12 now. Yeah. Um, and this last album, the last two years, we've been kind of experimenting, being a little bit more of a Tower of Power type band, rock and yeah. roll stuff. Um, but I still want to do some of the jazz concerts. I still occasionally want to bring some other guest artists up. But over the years, we had... You know, Bobby Shue up here a bunch of times and um, Walt Johnson and uh, Chuck Finley and um, yeah. uh, Tom Bones Malone. Um, oh, you got an East Coast guy in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> Sal Lozano and, and, you know, just a bunch more people I'm probably forgetting to mention. But, you know, Arturo Sandoval is oh, yeah. a good to have up here. And, um, you know, it's it's been fun. And, and for me... Getting back to having fun with it and playing the stuff I'm passionate about—that's that, made all the difference in the world. So, you know, I, I would say recommend to young people: if you're going to do it, you're not going to get super rich playing music unless you have some incredible pop crossover hit album. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but if you're going to do it, play what you want to play. Yeah. And if you're playing what you want to play and you're passionate about it, you're going to probably be more successful with it anyway. That's Great point, great point. Now, Rich, you mentioned your CD, and that's next on my agenda here for the evening. Um, you just released this CD, or not too far, too long ago, I should say, and I've been listening to uh, the examples online. I'm going to be picking it up. Uh, we've got some tracks that we've been talking about, and I uh, am really impressed with a couple of things. First of all, this ain't your grandma's big band. Um, I'm listening to this stuff, and I'm thinking, wow. Well, it... Uh, uh, tell us about CD. What's the name of the CD and, and the concept behind it? So so this one, over the last couple of years, uh, we started, at first it was just kind of an, a little bit of a, you know, kind of fun and accident. We started adding a few more rock tunes to the band because I have an amazing guitar player and singer in the band. And over the years, the band has evolved from right around 2000. It was a little bit of everything. It was, you know, Buddy Rich and Stan Kenton and Maynard and all this stuff, full 18-piece big band. 
and then over the years it you know it became a little bit more of like a Maynard Ferguson tribute band especially right after Maynard died uh, yeah, yeah. One of her albums was called the main thing M-A-Y-N <laughs> okay, and, that's good. Um, so we did that as a tribute to Maynard and then um, the last couple of years uh, we had a, a, a really dear friend uh, great writer arranger uh, here in um, Olympia just south of Tacoma and he started writing special arrangements for us of some of these rock tunes. And um, I thought, well, you know what, let's, if we're going to do it, let's do all my favorite 70s rock tunes, you know, and just a lot of that kind of stuff. And yeah, so Kansas yeah. and Doobie Brothers and uh, Santana and all that stuff. Um, and eventually it kind of became apparent that we could just shift directions and have some fun, at least for a while, and become a little bit more of a Tower of Power type big band so it's still a 12 piece kind of a cut down mini big band but more of a rock and roll show and heavy on the 70s rock and roll with a little bit of some instrumental things still mixed in there um, yeah yeah so the album the cd uh it's called rocking it uh, yeah that's what this project was and then um uh i got a little brave and approached some of my friends and heroes about doing guest solos on the thing and everybody said yes uh, so it it turned out amazing. Uh, what, what, get, who are your guest artists on here for our listeners? So on uh, the, the big one that everybody should know, on uh, California Dreaming, I got Arturo Sandoval doing an amazing guest soul yeah. on it. And, um, and then I got uh, a, a dear friend, Lynn Nicholson, one of my favorite trumpet players from many years ago. And, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And the fun thing with Lynn was... Uh, you know, he's been retired since Vegas kind of died off. Yeah. And uh, people have tried to get him to go do recording projects, to go do concerts. And and even though he still likes to have fun and he puts up videos all the time, he's always told everybody no. He goes, I'm not doing it full time anymore. I don't want to do that. And um, I said, Lynn, look, I know this track is perfect for you. Just let me send it to you. <laughs> Just listen to it for a couple of days. You know, mess around with it. If you feel inspired, lay something down. If you don't, no hard feelings. I get it. Yeah. And he says, okay. So um, I sent him, we have this killer arrangement of um, Carry On Wayward Son. Yeah, we go. So this great arrangement of Carry On Wayward Son. And I knew it would be perfect right up his alley because it's a high energy thing. It's perfect for a scream trumpet solo. And he outdid himself. He absolutely <laughs> Thank you. 
Yeah, I've heard the track. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So that I mean that was awesome. And then uh, I approached Walt Johnson, who you know, like I said, he'd been my trumpet teacher, and I brought him up over the years to play with the band a few times, and so he was very gracious about it, and, and uh, you know, and he recorded his solo on. Uh, there was a great Canadian rock group uh, kind of coming up at the same time as Blood, Sweat and Tears in Chicago. Uh -huh. uh, they didn't stick together as long as those guys, but it was called Lighthouse was the name of the band. Oh, yeah. And um, one of their biggest hits was One Fine Morning. Great tune. Yeah, yeah just a great tune. And so yeah. he nailed down just a beautiful solo on that. chops great lead chops great soloist um i was talking to him about the cd and he said he'd love to help me out and i said are you serious and he says yeah so um i sent him uh, mission impossible and and the the lead parts that mark thome wrote on this thing were insane right and yeah yeah i thought i would do the lead parts and and let him do the solo but you know i was i, was, I thought about it I go seraphim's got some of the most best killer lead chops i've ever heard <laughs> I go, Sarah, you, would it be too much to ask? Do you mind doing the lead part and then lay down the solo? He goes, yeah, I'll do it. So he's playing lead and soloing on that. Okay. Just,
Turturro, you know, I kind of approached him with my hat in hand and said, you know, I, I know normally you do much bigger things than this and I couldn't possibly afford what you deserve, but would you consider it? And he yeah. said, yes, and, and just did a beautiful solo on the album. Well, it's really interesting. Uh, how did you get to know these guys? I mean, you're talking about some heavy hitters here working your way up to Arturo. And you know, you mentioned Tom Bones Malone earlier. Uh, I, how do you get to know people like this? You know, I, uh, over the years, because we've, we've done four CDs, and, you know, it, it, for various lengths of time in certain markets, it would get played enough to be in the top ten. Uh, wow. So, so the, I kind of kid people that we're, the, we're a well-known poor band. <laughs> <laughs> so we have have a little bit of a reputation a little bit of a name and um you know i think that helped and then sometimes i've had opportunities where i was able to bring some of these guys out to play with the band for a festival man, or man. whatever and we got to know each other that way um the first time i think uh, that i really became friends with arturo you remember those crazy trumpet chat boards you know that got yeah like trump <laughs> There, you know, there were some idiots on there one. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like one day, I forget when it was, but it was years ago. And so some idiots, you know, they would even bash our heroes. You know, they would bash Maynard or they'd bash, you know, Doc or Maynard or, or Arturo. And so one day some of these knuckleheads are like bashing Arturo. Like, oh, yeah, he's a great technician, but he's not musical like me, blah, blah, blah. And, oh, wow, wow. And I just went off on him. I said, you know, I, I finally couldn't stand it. I said, you can't possibly be listening to the same thing I'm listening to. He plays yeah, great yeah. jazz. He plays great classical. He plays great Latin. Some of the greatest players in the world refer to him as one of the greatest players in the world. Yeah. yeah. Everyone knows who Arturo is. No one knows who you are. Love, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> yeah. So and then my, uh, my phone rang just out of the blue. I was down in Huntington Beach visiting some friends. And he, uh, I answered, and he goes, "Hello, this is Arturo." And I think somebody's messing with me. And he goes, "No, no, this is Arturo." Oh, that's oh, very cool. Yeah, and so he just thanked me for saying that. And uh, uh, and at the time, our CD that Wayne Bergeron plays on as a guest soloist was getting played in Florida. And uh, he said, "He goes, I like it. I like it." And he says, I, "I, I help you." And he says, "No, you know, you don't have to do that." Well, he kind of helped, you know. I think get some other stations to play it and couple people to write stuff about it and um which was super gracious of him um and you know then he he came up and played with the band uh and so we just became really good friends and he's he, he is i think he's one of the greatest trumpet players to ever walk on the planet he's just the the accomplishments that he can uh demonstrate with the instrument are just mind-boggling uh, I love I love watching little interview videos with him where uh, like Paul the trombone player or that uh, the French horn player who's interviewing people for various methodology concepts and just hearing him talk and demonstrate these things not just the high notes but yeah. pedal to pedal tones timbre uh, technique is wow it's just it's just again mind boggling yeah anything um, you could do but <laughs> I, I oh, go ahead go ahead. Well, as I say, and the other guys was, you know, just a combination of things, running into them at the NAMM show, uh, booking things with them sometimes or getting to play with them, just getting to know them in a variety of, of ways. And then 
you know, so when it came time that I asked them, you know, we all knew each other pretty well and, and, and it was kind of a natural course of events. Great. Now, you said that mentioned NAMP, so do you ever get out to the uh, uh, Midwest Band and Orchestra Clinic? You know, I would I would love to get out to that, uh, but Bach and Con Selmer, usually they'll send a bunch of the corporate executives and the people that are closer to Chicago. Yeah, yeah. that's only about an hour from here. Yeah, yeah. so they, they tend to do that show, and then, um, like, because I'm out west, I'll do the stuff in the, you know, the western United States. And Makes sense. In LA, that kind <laughs> yeah. of thing. All right, um, so uh, the CD, you know, you kind of went with a rock vibe. So, again, not your grandma's big band, but uh, the stu- the studio quality, the mix, uh, everything is just superlative. Um, did you use a studio out there, or did you do kind of a do-it-yourself thing? How did you do the recording for that you project? Know, each, each project has been a little different. So, you know, the, the very first one we did live at Jazz Bones was truly a live gig. And we had Jim Wilkie from NPR and the Jazz Radio Station in Seattle, who he always did amazing live recordings. And so he put on that one, you know, he had a couple mics high up near the kind of up in the air and then a couple and then he had some close miking on the stage and he kind of mixed and balanced as he went. And it turned out pretty darn amazing for a live recording. Yeah. Um, and then when we did the one with Wayne Bergeron and the Rialto, it was a similar miking concept of a live concert. So, you know, some uh, close miking on the stage and some ambient miking in the back of the room. Yeah. Um, and really a great job mixing that all together. Um, and then uh, the main thing was truly a studio recording, at least what I think of a studio recording, where you know, I had the rhythm section go and lay down their tracks, and then the sax section lay down theirs, and the trombone, and the trumpet, and then yeah. we punch in the solos later, and, and it was all a layered thing, and yeah, very precise, you know, and, and 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 that's a good thing to do. I think that's the way to go with a serious recording project. Yeah. Really, really yeah. And then on this project, uh, we had the same guy from that studio, uh, uh, Mark, with. Uh, uh, Pacific Studios in Tacoma, Washington, and we decided uh, that we were going to record it in the auditorium at TCC, and we put up some baffling, and we spread it out enough, and he he had some uh, good control so that there's not a lot of bleed over on into the other mics, and uh, we just made that kind of a marathon. We recorded like three takes of each song, a little bit old school way of recording it, uh-huh. Uh, but then you got the modern school Pro Tools to, uh, stuff available. So besides picking the best cut, you know, if there was a section of, you know, one of the songs that was just noticeably better than the other ones, you could literally move that over and, and just have one really clean, amazing cut. Yeah. And then we sent, you know, the stuff, the tracks down to the soloists. To like you know Arturo in LA and Walt in LA and Lynn in Vegas and uh, Seraphin in LA and they just lay down their tracks. It comes back. They finish doing all the editing and mastering, and it sounds like they're in the studio with us. Oh yeah, yeah. we're recording it. Uh, and you share with us a great deal about the these uh, wonderful musicians that you've gotten to know. And I really appreciate your being uh, upfront about how you get to know these guys. You know through the trade shows and uh, doing your other business as a uh, Bach uh, representative, because this is something again I think young people need to be aware of that 
there are a variety of ways you network. Um, it's not all necessarily online. <laughs> so just, yep. uh, I think occasionally face-to-face is pretty important. Okay, uh, you've got a big band, and this is something that, uh, that kind of weighs heavily on me quite a bit. We have a, a changing landscape uh, in the music business, you know, what is popular, what is not popular. I mean, jazz is kind of lower, you know, further down the, um, uh, what should, how should we say, the, the food chain as far as what people want to see, listen to with music. 
Um, so that, that there's a lot of things that happen when we try to book bands. Have you run into issues or how do you deal with, uh, I don't want to get into uh, identity politics. I, I hate that stuff. But on the other hand, there are certain things. I, I prefer seasoned as opposed to older. I prefer um, uh, just younger musicians. It's, that doesn't seem to be so much of a stigma there. Um, and then uh, you've got men and women in the business and you know, uh, various races. How do you deal with diversity as a band leader? Is this something that you try to think about? Does it happen naturally? Because I have seen changes in my experience with that in Chicago, and we're a pretty big city. So, do you have any ideas there? You know, I uh, and maybe I just do it naturally a little bit, but I, I, I you know, I, I've never really stopped to think about it. I, I just, I want to surround myself with people that are good musicians that are yeah. fun to be around, and you know, for me. Uh, it doesn't matter what your background is, you know, man, woman, race, whatever. Just if you're a great person and you're a fun musician and you're, you know, you play well and you entertain, and you show up on time and you have a good attitude. That's all I need to know. I mean, that's that's the thing for me is if you got all those qualities, it's it's golden. And then, yeah. it, you know, I try to put on a good show. And it it is interesting, like you said, about you know, the styles of music and what's popular and what's not. And, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, when we were younger, when we were young <laughs> guys, um, you know, there were still like a, a lot of, um, well, there were a lot of, you know, big bands that were still touring. So it wasn't just Maynard. I mean, you know, Buddy Rich and Louis Belson and Count Basie and Stan Kenton. And, and Woody Herman was still out there. Buddy Herman and, yeah. uh, you know, Toshiko. I mean, all these bands were out there and then in every major city there was a bunch of like you said jobbing bands that were big bands still yeah. doing all kinds of gigs and um over the years you know as we got further and further away from the big band era you know that stuff started to kind of die down a little bit and it was a little less and a little less and a little less yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know so that's been a little bit of the fun with you know doing the little bit more of the rock and roll stuff the last couple of years I think it opened a few other doors for us to play and and it got people listening to us and then we would sneak in Mission Impossible or a taste <laughs> of funny or something yeah. to kind of hip up the room a little bit and then go back yeah. to the yeah. rocks. You know? Yeah, dance Mission Impossible, dance to this, see what happens. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I, I have a funny gig to tell you about. This is this is hysterical. Um so you know, when I was when the big band became more of a like a Maynard tribute thing for a while. I got a call from uh, the w one of the biggest Elks Lodges in the country at the time was Tacoma Elks Lodge, and they wanted us to come do more of a straight ahead big band evening. And uh, fortunately, I still had a lot of this stuff in a in my library of tunes, and so I was like, "Yeah, sure, we'll do it." And we come in there, we play all the you know Harry James and Glenn Miller and you know all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, Lance Buller was a great trumpet player uh, in the Seattle area. He says. He says, hey, man, let's do a night in Tunisia because we had a really fun version of a night in Tunisia. And I didn't even think about these poor old people trying to dance to it. Uh. <laughs> so we get going. I'm looking out there like, oh, man, everybody's going to break a hip on this. <laughs> but we were already in the middle of the tune. I couldn't stop. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I, I played gigs where the band leader will call something like, hey, you know, we're 
be doing a wedding. And, and they'll say, all right, let's do MacArthur Park. And I'm going, no, 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 don't, yeah. don't. Yeah, and they'll, no, we'll do MacArthur Park. And so we'll play it. And then I'll see people sitting in front with the, their fingers in the air going, what in the hell is he doing back there? Make him stop. <laughs> <laughs> so it gets, it gets a little crazy sometimes when people aren't thinking that through. But yeah, it's, fun. it's all part of the fun and the great stories you get to tell about uh, later on down the line. Well, Richard, this was really an amazing conversation. I'd like to always kind of conclude with one last uh, thought, one last question. And here's the premise of the question. We want to encourage newer musicians to pursue their dreams and play music their way, like what you're talking about here. How would you advise them to do this wisely this day and age? You know, things are so much different from when we were coming up. How would you advise a younger player to approach this now, if you if somebody were, if you were mentoring somebody, you know, I I think honestly, I would I would tell people that, you know, you can have an amazing musical career, um, and you know, it, it's there are a lot more guys who've had day jobs than you think along the way. You no know? shame in that. No shame no, in that. No shame in that. And you know, and. Uh, Wayne Bergeron would even tell you when he was, you know, working around like Lockheed and places like that, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, um, you, you do what you got to do, uh, and you can still play on a very high level. And, and if you get to a point where you can just have that as your only source of income, that's amazing. And that's a great thing. And, and I've done it for a while. You've done it for a while. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there's also no shame in figuring out that, you know what, maybe I can find a way to balance this out and have my finger in a few different things. And, mm -hmm. Uh, one of the things I really try to remind them of is because a lot of them think I'm either all in or I'm all out. I got to just only play or it just can't be done. And the truth be told, every major city you go to, you can find some guys that, you know, during the day, they're a CPA, they're a doctor, they're a lawyer, they're, they're a teacher, whatever. And they yeah, play yeah. their ass off. Yeah, because yeah. they still have a passion for the music. They still put in some practice time. They still play in in some groups, and so you can make it work. And uh, you know, I'd say to people that if this is a part of you, it's part of your heart, it's part of your soul. Um, you can continue to do this no matter what else you decide to do in your life. It doesn't mean you have to give it up, and you shouldn't. It's it's obviously something that's captured your heart, that's captured your soul. And it's a passion. Um, and like I said, some of the best players you'll meet in any city, they're dentists or doctors or lawyers or whatever else during the day. Yeah. And they still play amazing. Yeah. Great, great thoughts. I really appreciate your kind of dialing this all in for everybody who's listening right now. Rich, I, I really can't thank you enough for doing this. This was just a, a wonderful conversation. So much that uh, folks can, can learn from all of this. Now, uh, let me see. Once again, what's the name of your CD? It's called Rocking It, and it's available on uh, iTunes and CDBaby.com, uh, Spotify, a bunch of other places online. But it's uh, Rich Wetzel's Groovin' Hire is the name of the band, and okay. the CD is called Rocking It. You got a website? RichWetzel.com. And there's a, a store tab that has links to all the different CDs and how to order them. Excellent. That's what we. That's the sort of stuff we need to make sure everybody hears. Okay. All right. So folks, go out and buy that CD. Uh, get online and uh, download the music. This is some really 
unique and wonderful big band music because it's it's not all the old big band music. It's just a, a big band uh, with a completely new and uh, uh, much more modern feel to it. So uh, I think it can touch a lot of people in a different way. Rich, thanks again, man. We'll, we'll look forward to uh, seeing more and more of your work and hearing more and more of your work online. Thank you, Nick. And, man, as always, I love your playing. love the stuff you're doing, too. <laughs> well, thank you. Thanks for doing this. All right. Thank you. Once again, I want to thank Rich Wetzel for doing this show today. Uh, really appreciate his insight on survival in the music business in a market that is not New York or L.A., uh, where you have to be a little more creative. I uh, want to give a shout-out to the musicians in Rich's band. Of course, Rich Wetzel is the leader and lead trumpet player. Steve Stefanowitz is playing guitar and doing vocals. Rick White on bass. Aaron Hennings on drums. Mac Grout on keys. Melo Castro is a percussionist. Dan Wickham on alto sax. Stephen Vale on tenor sax. Rudy Draco on barry sax. Eric Stevens is playing trombone. And the other trumpets are Jeff Smith, Brad Smith, and Randy Hyde. This concludes today's episode of uh, Duets from the Trenches, Musicians You Should Know. Uh, I appreciate your patience with uh, uh, hiatus as we're sorting out technical issues uh, in my little tiny studio. And uh, looking forward to getting more and more of these things out there more consistently. So until the next episode appears in your iPod source, uh, just saying that this is your friendly neighborhood studio man, Nick Drawstuff, saying don't stop the music. Peace.